Good evening. I have some bad news for you tonight. <clears throat> the probability of every person in this room dying is 100%. The statistics are not good. You can social distance, you can wear a mask, you can exercise every day and eat healthy for the rest of your life, but you are still going to die. No person on the face of this earth is exempt. The important thing is not whether we live or die. The important thing, in fact, the only thing that matters is where we will spend eternity. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. I know that I told you I would pick up with the uh, declaration message um, but I, I really feel strongly that uh, the Lord birthed this message in me while I was gone, and I, I feel strongly that I need to preach it um, before we move on into the declaration messages. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I'll begin reading in verse 1. There were present at that season, at that season, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? No, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, thou art loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were being done by him. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? 
It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Is it like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of, of meal until it was all leavened? And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive. Somebody say strive. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, not a few, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. I do not know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. They will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. Would you just pray with me? Father, all that I can say is, I believe you. I believe every word in your book. I believe you're powerful. I believe you're the God in whom nothing is impossible. I believe before I was born, you called me. And I'm asking you, Lord, to do what your word says and make my mouth like a sharpened sword and the pen in it, like a pen in the hand of a ready writer. I believe you, Lord, and I believe you're here with us tonight, and I pray that your presence would be real in this place, and that your mighty word would pierce hearts and minds and change us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 1, uh, there were present at that season, the, the NIV, for those of you that have the NIV, you'll, you'll see that it says there were some present at that time, and, and so we need to ask ourselves at what time, at what season, and uh, translators have done us a wonderful service by, by dividing the Bible into books, into chapters, into verses, but in this case, we can easily miss that the passage we read tonight isn't happening on a different day from chapter 12, that it's a continual sermon that's taking place there. And, and so the at that time, it is a reference to uh, what is happening, what had just happened before in chapter 12. And so it's important that you understand in chapter 12, even though we didn't read it tonight, Jesus was warning his hearers about divine judgment and the importance of doing what the master tells us to do. Who knows it's important to do what the master tells you to do. But notice in verse 1, it says, There were present at that season some who told him, who told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate was a, a nasty man, and, and we don't know much about this story, but what historians tell us is that Galileans came to worship, and they brought sacrifices uh, to, to offer on the altar, and that Pilate uh, had his, his men slaughter them, and so their blood was mingled 
intermingled with the sacrifices they brought. And, and some people were there, and Jesus was talking about divine judgment. And at that time, in, in Bible times, people believed, and they believed wrongly, might I add, that if you, if you were suffering, remember Job and his friends, if you were suffering, that you must have done something to deserve it. That, that if you had a bad, hard life, you, you must have been a greater sinner than somebody else because your life was bad and their life was not. It was a wrong thinking, but, but that's, they came to Jesus and, and they said that. And Jesus said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans? I think not. But then he said, but you, <laughs> he said, you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And then Jesus brings up another horrific uh, incident, and he talked about the tower, tower uh, of Siloam uh, collapsing and, and how 18 innocent people suddenly died in, in that tower collapsing. And, and, and then he adds again, do you think that they were worse sinners than the other uh, Jews in Jerusalem? And then he said, I think not, but unless you repent you will likewise perish. Jesus was saying the problem was not that they were greater sinners. The problem was uh, that the same problem that every one of us in the room have tonight. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Our thinking that our sin is not as great as another person. See, we like that. We like to do what they did. We, we like to point out somebody else's sin and make ourselves feel better that ours is not quite as bad as theirs. And Jesus was leveling the playing ground, and he was saying, let's just get our eyes off of that. That's not even the question to be asking yourself. The question is, have you repented? Because unless you repent, you will likewise perish. I want you to notice that Jesus, uh, he talks about these horrendous tragedies and, and they all resulted in horrific deaths. But what was more horrific is that the people that died didn't just die. Jesus said they perished. And, and that's really important that you notice those two words. He, he said they didn't just die. He said unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He doesn't say you will likewise die. And so it would be really important that you looked at the two different meanings of those words because who knows? It's different to die than it is to perish. You see, these people didn't just physically die. Jesus was saying they eternally perished. That word perish means to destroy utterly. Hear me. It does not mean to annihilate. See, that, that's what we like to think. That It doesn't mean that, that they just went to sleep and stopped being. It doesn't mean to cease to exist. Those who perish will wish that it meant to cease to exist. It's not the loss of being, it's the loss of well-being. As I said in the beginning tonight, our statistics are not good. 100% of us will die. The question is not if we'll die. The question is not even when we'll die. The question is, will we perish? Jesus gives those two illustrations of tragic disasters, uh, drawing the picture that there's a far worse disaster that can happen to us. We can refuse to repent and perish. Jesus is giving a warning here. It's a conditional warning. He's saying, unless you, you repent, you will perish. It's going to happen. Who knows that Jesus is a promise keeper? He means what he says. And if he says, unless we repent, we're going to perish, we're, we're going to not just cease to exist. We're not just going to be annihilated. 
We're going to be utterly destroyed. It's a picture of torment in hell. And he's saying, for those who refuse to perish, you see, we don't preach this message anymore, but this is a message of Jesus. Those of you who are Old Testament people, can I just tell you, this is not a story in the Old Testament. This is Jesus' New Testament preaching this. He says, unless you repent here, repent here means to change one's mind for the better, to change one's mind in respect to sin, to heartily amend with an abhorrence for past sin to hate your sin. It involves turning with, with contrition to, from sin to God. I want you to note that it's present tense. That's really, really important. If you miss everything else I say tonight, understand that Jesus says you must repent, and that word repent is present tense. It means to have an ongoing, habitual repentance. That repentance is part of your lifestyle. I'm here to tell you that repentance is not a one-time event. We know it just from the tense that Jesus uses in this passage. There are people that say, I repented when I came to Christ and I don't need to repent again. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but you are believing a lie. You are being misled. Jesus says, unless you repent, and it is an ongoing habitual repentance, it is a lifestyle of repentance. You sin daily, you need to repent daily. I'm sorry. That's the tense that he uses there. You say, well, Rhea, what about grace? Repentance is a gift of grace. If we're willing to repent, the same grace that saved us will empower us. Who knows we need empowered to turn from sin? I like sin. I'm just telling you, sin is tasty for a season. If it wasn't, nobody here would do it. You're looking at a chief sinner in front of you. If sin wasn't tasty, I never would have indulged in it. But I promise you, in the end, it will lead to death. It'll lead to death. And I'm here to tell you that, that you need grace to help you turn from sin. You might be willing, but, but uh, you'll, you'll want to turn right back because it's tasty for a season. The same grace that has saved you will empower you to keep walking away from that sin. It's the active voice that Jesus uses here. Uh, for those of you that are in Friday morning study, you'll understand this. The active voice calls, calls for a personal choice of one's will. An act of the will. Jesus is saying you have to make an act of the will to repent. You have to make the choice. God's, God's grace will give you the ability, but the choice has to be yours. I'm just here to tell you that God will never force us to repent. It has to be a choice of our will. Don't miss the fact that the two illustrations that were given here were, were illustrations where a sudden disaster or tragedy overtook the people. They weren't expecting to die that day. And Jesus tells us that they perished. They didn't just physically die. They spiritually perished. And then he gives two warnings. He repeats it twice. Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, always pay attention to it. Jesus doesn't just say this once. He says it twice. And when he does that, he says it to, to stress it. He, stresses, he says it for emphasis. He doesn't want you to miss it, so I'm going to say it again. He said, unless you repent, you likewise will all. Look at the all there. He wasn't just talking to one person. He, it was, it was a, uh, an all-encompassing all. He was saying, hear me say this. Unless you repent, you will likewise all perish. I want you to note that the illustrations that Jesus gave, Jesus, their end came without warning. 
My dad, uh, I talked to him today, and, uh, you know, he is just waiting to die. <laughs> He's had a lot of warning that he was dying. He's had a lot of time to prepare his heart. We've had a lot of deep, meaningful discussions about Jesus, about heaven. It's been wonderful that he has the, the uh, privilege of knowing he's dying. Lisa's here tonight. She had the privilege of sitting with her mom, knowing that her mom was headed to heaven. And I, they had good conversations, I'm sure. But you see, not everybody is that lucky. These people that, that Jesus is illustrating here, their, their death came suddenly. They had no time to prepare, and they were not ready. I wonder tonight if you're ready. Are you ready? I read a quote from uh, Mattoon this week. He says, the evidence of saving faith is repentance from sin, a turning from hatred, a turning from and hatred for sin. A Sunday school teacher once asked a class what was meant by the word repentance. A little boy put up his hand and said, it's being sorry for your sins. A little girl also raised her hand and said, it's being sorry enough to quit. Spurgeon said that repentance is an inseparable companion of faith. Faith and repentance are like Siamese twins. They, they're virtually joined together. True repentance has a double aspect. It looks upon things in the past with a weepy eye and upon the future with a watchful eye. If a person genuinely loves God, Spurgeon says, he will have a built-in hatred for sin. It's impossible to love two things con contradictory to one another. If you love gardens, you will hate weeds. If you love babies, you will hate abortion. If you love God, you will hate sin. So why do we have so much trouble with the word repentance? If you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 28, 13, I love this scripture. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. Who, who believes God's word? Can I just tell you, I am telling you, I believe every word of this Bible. I believe every word. I, I believe this word over my husband's word. I, I believe this word over my best friend's word. I believe every word that's written in this Bible. And so if God's word says <laughs> that he who covers his sin will not prosper, it must be true. That if I try to cover up my sin, if I try to disguise it and dress it up super spiritualized, if, if I try to push it down and pretend it's not there, if I put on a mask and act super spiritual around you, but I do something behind closed doors, he who covers his sin will not prosper. That's God's word. It's his promise to us. But then he says, whoever confesses, that's repentance, whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. That word cover means to conceal, to put on, to cover for protection. That really struck me as I looked up that definition. And to cover for protection, he who covers his sin, to cover for protection. I think sometimes we try to cover up our sin to protect ourselves. We think, what would they think if they knew I struggled with this? Or what would they think about me if they knew I did this bad thing? Or what would God think if he knew this about me? He already does. And he who covers his sin will not prosper. You see, we, we try to put on a good act and seem super spiritual, but God sees. He's the God who sees. And Scripture said if we confess our sin and we forsake them, we'll find mercy. Repentance is confessing your sin and forsaking it, walking away from it. 
Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Repent. We talked about the definition of repent, but I want to read that verse in the Amplified. It says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, change your mind for the better and heartily amend your ways with an abhorrence for your past sins. God's word translation says, but if you don't turn to God and change the way you think and act, then you too will all die. That's interesting. Both of those translations involve the mind, involve the thinking. The Amplified says, if you don't change your mind for the better. The, God's word translation says, if you don't change the way you think and act. It's interesting to me that both of those, when it comes to repentance, it involves the mind. Scripture says, where the mind goes, the man will follow. Repentance always involves not just a new way of acting, but a new way of thinking. We've got to change our way, our thinking about sin. I, I liked this. It, it says, the, um, the voice says the same verse, but listen, if you do not consider God's ways and truly change, then friends, you should prepare to, you should prepare to face his judgment and eternal death. If you don't consider God's ways and truly change, you say, well, I don't like that. I'm sorry. Jesus preached repentance. If you turn over to Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 15, you will see the very first words of Jesus that were recorded in Mark's gospel are repent and believe in the gospel. His very first, his first preach for Mar in, recorded in Mark's gospel was repent and believe in the gospel. Don't miss the fact that Jesus put repent and believe in the same sentence. They put them side by side because you, you have to understand there can be no genuine conversion without genuine repentance. Remember, inherit in that word repent is a changed life. If you've made a profession of faith and there's no evidence of a real changed life, then it's suspect if you've really been converted. I'm sorry if that's stepping on anybody's toes, but I'm telling you, I had to sit with this all week long. I'm telling you that this is Jesus speaking. If there is no evidence of a changed life in your life, if you made a profession of faith, but there's no evidence of a changed life, then your profession is suspect. I'm sorry, because repentance is a changed life cannot love God and love what he hates. I'm going to tell you, I loved my sin. Because it's tasty for a season, but in the end it leads to death. You cannot love God and love what he hates. Those who truly love God will hate sin. You can't believe in, in, in God and not change the way you're living. That's why Paul said, and listen to this, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, let me, let me just read it to you, don't even turn there. He says, test and evaluate yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith and living your life as committed believers. Test and evaluate yourself to see whether or not you're living in the faith and that you really are a committed believer. Examine yourselves, not me, he says, or, or do you not recognize this about yourselves by ongoing experience that Jesus Christ is in you? He's saying every day, test and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Am I really acting and living like I believe? Do I have a changed life that's evident? I have to test myself and examine to see if I'm really in the faith pulses because here's the catch. Jesus is really living in you. He's living in you. 
and he will empower you to walk out his word. He will change you. You just have to cooperate with him. The same grace that saved you will enable you to turn from your sin and head that other direction and have a truly changed life. The Amplified says, examine, test, and evaluate your own selves to see whether or not you're holding on to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. <laughs> I love that, showing the proper fruits of repentance. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who actually do the will of my Father. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Notice he says many will say, not a few. Jesus is saying there are many who are professing he is Lord, but he's not actually doing what he says. Those who actually do the will of the Father are the ones who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. We cannot say we know Jesus and believe in him while continuing to do things that are in opposition to him. It strikes me to think that we're living in a time where people are taking desperate measures not to die. Anybody with me? I was at the airport today. I was stunned by the number of people, and don't think I'm making an unfair judgment here. I'm just making a statement, okay, so don't attack me. I was stunned by the number of people who were wearing not one but two masks and a shield everywhere I went. And I thought, wow, we're taking extreme measures because we're so worried uh, about dying. Drastic measures so we don't die. Don't get me wrong. I, there's nothing wrong with social distancing. Don't, get, don't, don't be like, oh, she's all against. I don't want to hear that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with wearing masks. There's nothing wrong if you want to be vaccinated. Rock on with your bad self. I'm just saying, I'm just making a point that we are so concerned about dying physically, and yet we're not at all concerned about dying spiritually spiritually. Jesus is saying, there you're going to die. The statistics are in and they're not in your favor. A hundred percent of us are going to die physically. You can wear a mask till the day you die. You can isolate and stay in your house all year long. I don't care, but you are going to die. My question for you tonight is where are you going to spend eternity when you do die? Because you see, Dr. Fauci, he issued a warning, did he not? A year ago, he said, don't go out without wearing a mask because you will die. Everybody hear that warning? Everybody here, wear a mask? And yet Dr. Jesus issues a warning and he says, repent or you will perish. You won't just die. You're going to perish. You're going to be in eternal torment for the rest of eternity. And we're like, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Do you want to do that? I don't know if I want to do that. Here she's preaching that message again. Let me get my mask and leave. We pay more attention to Dr. Dr. Fauci than we do Jesus, the one who cannot lie. The one who's not under any kind of pressure from anybody else to make a statement. His statement is truth. And he's saying, unless you repent, you will die. You will perish eternally. Unless you live an ongoing, day-to-day -day life of repentance, being sorry, not just sorry for your sin, but sorry enough to quit. Guys, 
I'm just telling you, this is a warning from Jesus. It's in red. It's in red. And just because we don't preach this anymore in our churches because we're worried about losing people in our pew, meanwhile, they're all perishing, doesn't mean it's not truth. Jesus is saying, repent or you'll perish. <laughs> I have a choice whether I wear a mask or whether I don't. I can heed Dr. Fauci's warning, but I'm taking my life in my own hands if I do that. You have a choice whether or not you heed Dr. Jesus' warning or not. It's up to you. He didn't create robots. But you're taking your life, your spiritual life, your eternal life in your own hands if you do that. Look at verses 6 through 9. Jesus continues this conversation, and he does it by giving them a parable. And he talks about a man who planted a fig tree in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit, but he found none. And, and he said to the keeper of his vineyard, it's a picture of God and Jesus. He said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I found none. Cut it down. And the keeper intercedes, and he says, no, no, no. He said, let me put some fertilizer, and let me dig around it. And, and if it doesn't give fruit within the year, you can cut it down then. This fig tree story is connected to repentance. I want you to see that the fig tree had leaves. It just didn't have fruit. It looked good, <laughs> but it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. Its purpose was to bring forth fruit. And it's a picture of us. I'm just telling you that, that God is, is, is the owner of our vineyard and, and he has planted our life and he, our purpose is to bring forth fruit, not to just look good. You see, so many of us are concerned about looking good spiritually, but we're not bringing forth. Jesus says, bring forth the fruit of repentance. Look at the scripture, it's Matthew 3, 8. He says, I want you to bear fruit worthy of repentance. The Passion Translation, that verse in the Passion says, you must prove your repentance by a changed life. You and I must prove our repentance, not by leaves, not by looking good, wearing a super spiritual mask, showing up for Bible study in church on Sunday morning. How you doing? Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you, sister. No, this is how we're going to prove our repentance, by a changed life. Jesus said, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Let that fruit come off your life because you see the owner of the vineyard has planted me and he comes and he should be able to expect root fruit from my life because that's the, that's the purpose I was planted on this earth for, to bear fruit for him. And yet Jesus, after he's saying, okay, I'm just going to tell you that you need to bear fruit. You, you need to repent so that you don't perish. Let me tell you about the church. Let me tell you about your life. It looks really good, but there's no fruit. There's no fruit of repentance coming off your life. The keeper says to the owner in this parable, he says, let me just dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let me do everything I can to give this tree the proper environment so it will bear fruit. Can I just tell you everything you and I need for life and for godliness, for godly living, has already been given to us. He's provided. The keeper of our vineyard has provided that for us. We are without excuse. 
And God comes into our life and he comes inspecting and saying, is there fruit in keeping with repentance in their life? If not, I'm just here to tell you I can't water this down to make you feel better. I have this urgency. I, I leaned over to Dave tonight and I said, pray for me because I have such a heavy burden for this message upon me. I have to preach it. I had such a, an awareness that, Lord, I don't want to mess this up. I can't water it down for you anymore. I can't do it. I, he's saying bear, bear fruit in keeping with repentance if you're not bearing fruit of a changed life then your profession is suspect you have leaves that look good but you're not you're not you're you're not producing what you were put here to produce and it's not the keeper of the vineyard's fault bear fruit in keeping with repentance that word fruit is used figuratively I looked it up. It says, of those who by their labors have fitted souls to obtain eternal life. I want you to see the keeper's response. He said, let it alone. That word, that phrase, let it alone, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a fascinating word. It's used 133 times in the New Testament. 49 of those times, it's translated forgive. Isn't that what God does to us? He just forgives us over and over and over his mercies are new every morning. His grace meets us every time, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. And there's the keeper mediating for the fig tree, just like Christ mediates for us. But I don't want you to miss that the owner grants a reprieve, and he demonstrates patience, but don't, patience, but don't miss the fact that the reprieve is limited. His patience will not last forever. God is make, Jesus is making it clear that God is the vine dresser and that he is delaying judgment so that everybody has an opportunity to repent because he desires to see the fruit of repentance in our life. Warren Wiersbe says God is gracious and long-suffering towards people. And he does more than enough to encourage us to repent and bear fruit. He has every right to cut us down, but in his mercy he has spared us. Yet we must not presume upon the, con the kindness and long-suffering of the Lord, for the day of judgment will finally come. I don't want you to miss the fact that this parable goes right with the repentance teaching, that repentance is real and it's necessary, or will perish like Jesus said. Go on to verses 10 through 17. He gives the, the story of the woman who, who has the bent back and she's been in that condition for 18 years and Jesus tells us that she's in that condition because she's bound by Satan. I, I really like this one. Her condition, the, the Passion Translation says, was caused by a demonic spirit of bondage that left her unable to stand up straight. Oh, I, I know that, that, again, we don't preach this, but anybody besides me understand that we don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and evil forces, that we have an enemy of our soul who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His job is to keep, if he can't, my, my son Tyler always says, if he can't keep you out of hell, he's going to make sure you live like hell here on earth. And, and he comes, and, and, but who knows that he is a defeated foe? Do you understand that the enemy of your soul is a defeated foe? The only power he has is what? The power we give him, the power we surrender to him. Legally, he can't touch you. He cannot touch you legally. 
he has to find a legal way to get to you because he has no power. He has no authority. He's been defeated on the cross of Calvary. Do, do you see that? Jesus, the Bible says, made a spectacle out of him. The only power he has. I, I just read a scripture, Leslie. Where was that scripture that I read you that said there's going to come a day when, when Satan is revealed to us and we're going to say, that's what we, that, that is what made me cower, that. Leslie, can you find it somewhere? Where, where, somewhere. <laughs> find it. It's in there somewhere. But, but, but it's like, that's what has terrorized the church all of this time? That's what caused anxiety? That's what lied to me? That's what scripture says. I'll find it for you. It's not that. I'll find it. I promise. I'll have Leslie send it out. It's, it's circled in my Bible somewhere because I was stunned by it. But back to the enemy. He has no power in your life, only what you give him, only what you surrender to him. And so the fact that the Bible says that this woman was bent, that she was crippled by a spirit, by a demonic spirit. Many of you have heard me do the teaching on don't give place to the devil. Do you remember that teaching? I did a whole series on, on, on how we give place to the devil. He doesn't have any place to your life. You have, in your life, you have to surrender it to him. Don't give a place. The Bible, that word place in the original language means an occasion to act. Don't give the devil an occasion to act in your life. But because when you do, you, you give him a legal right. When you invite him in, when you give him an opportunity to act. The men who, who Dave and I work with who are, who are, are dealing with, uh, with pornography, that's an in. That's an occasion to act. They've put their mind on an unclean thing. They've opened up their spirit to that unclean perversion. And I promise you, it gives the enemy a place to act, an occasion to act. I could give you 10 more illustrations where we give the enemy an occasion, a place to act in our life. Addiction. Um, I, I just could go on and on and on. But this woman, because she was bent and she had tried to get free herself, she tried. It says that she did, but she could in no way raise herself up. That tells me she tried. It was a spirit that had kept her bound for 18 years. She had given a legal right somewhere. The enemy was given a legal right to operate in her life. Where was I going with that? I believe as I studied it this week, because it's connected with all of this about repentance, I believe that she was not living a lifestyle of repentance. Notice she was in the church. She was in the synagogue listening to Jesus teach. She was there. It was her, it was her habit to go there. She was in church and still bound. The church is filled with people who are in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but still bound. It's because there's an enemy of their soul who's found the legal right to operate in their life. And one of the ways we take that legal right back is through repentance. By coming before the Lord and saying, examine me. The Bible says that we are deceived by the pride of our heart. The Bible says that we should not be, uh, our hearts get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That, that sin deceives me, it entices me, it draws me in, it promises something that it can't deliver and I take the bait and I'm deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and my heart gets hardened to God's word. And so when I go before God every day and I say, Lord, examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me, it's, it's what I'm saying is I know there are things I don't want to see in my life. 
I know there are things I, I don't want to admit in my life. I'm being deceived, Lord. And so can you give me eyes to see what I'm not seeing? Can you examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me? Because I don't want the enemy to have any legal ground to operate in my life. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? And so when I say, oh, this is tasty over here, let's do this even though God's word says don't do it, I walk in agreement with who? The enemy. And I give him a legal right in my life. You found it. Praise the Lord. Where is it? Oh, I have it. I didn't even think. Did you just look for what I had circled? It's a new Bible. That's, a, that's the advantage of a new Bible. <laughs> Those who see you, Satan, will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world a wilderness? Who destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of the prisoners? Is this the man? Isaiah 14, 16. Angela, you got that, didn't you, girl? Um, Isaiah 14, 16, and 17. Yeah, thank you for that. But, but so Jesus then gives this illustration, and I believe it's tied because there were probably areas of her life that she didn't repent and turn from a sin, and it got her in bondage. But one encounter with Jesus, Jesus called her to himself. And I tell you, when he says repent, he's calling us to himself. You see, he already knows the thing that you are not wanting to repent about. He's already familiar with. He is familiar with all your ways. He is the God who sees. He knows what's in a man. And so you don't have to be afraid to repent. He invites you to repent so you come close to him. So the fellowship is restored with him. And so he invited her to come close, and she came up, and, and look what it says in verse, uh, she, she gets straightened out, and, and, and in verse, um, uh, verse uh, 12 says that he saw her, that word saw is he inspected her. He, he looked at her, and he ascertained what, what needed to be done about it. Oh, he's already done that for you. So he saw her, and, and the word, like I said, means to inspect or examine, but there's somebody else he inspected and examined. Look at verse 14. When the ruler of the synagogue saw this, he was filled with indignation. <laughs> he was a religious leader. The head of the synagogue or the church, if you will. And he had an issue with what Jesus was doing. Does that make anybody else sad but me? You see, we're so steeped in tradition. We're so steeped in the way we think God should work and that anything that works outside that little box we have him in, we, we oppose or, or, or we fight against. And I love that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat his feelings because he had already inspected that man as well. And do you see what he called him? A hypocrite. He, he inspected him and he called what he saw and he saw a hypocrite. He saw uh, that word hypocrite means play actor. It means an actor wearing a mask. Oh, he, he saw a religious leader who was a spiritual actor, not an authentic follower. I read a quote from Spurgeon this week. It said, periodical godliness is perpetual hypocrisy. Periodical godliness is perpetual hypocrisy. Hypocrites are those who act spiritual and look good to others, but they're only playing a part and they're only fake and Jesus knows. You see, the religious leaders at that time were highly respected people. People were in awe of them. They honored them. <laughs> but, but yet Jesus was saying, you're a hypocrite. You're a play actor. You're going through all these religious motions. But, but, it, but it's, it is, it, it's not real. It's not authentic. 
And he tells this story in the same passage that he's talking about repenting or you'll perish. Wearsby said the bondage of the ruler of the synagogue was worse than that of the woman. Her bondage affected only her body, but his bondage shackled his mind and heart. He was so bound and blinded by tradition that he ended up opposing the Son of God. William Barclay says to Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees were men who were acting apart. What he meant was this, their whole idea of religion consisted in outward observances, in the wearing of elaborate uh, phylacteries and tassels, the meticulous observance of the rules and regulations of the law, but their hearts were full of bitterness and envy and pride and arrogance. To Jesus, these scribes and Pharisees were men who, under a mask of elaborate godliness, concealed hearts in which the most godless feelings and emotions held away. What's so fascinating to me about this whole story is verse 17. The, the Bible says that when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Don't miss this. That word adversary, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a word meaning to set over against, opposite to, to oppose, to be adverse to, to withstand. Those who oppose God's word, those who place themselves on a different path than Jesus, those who hold a different philosophy of life than the master are his adversaries or his opponents. So think about that. When we oppose his word, we oppose him. When we set ourselves against his word, we set ourselves against him. When we stubbornly set our will to go against his word and his direction, we are his opponents. We're his adversaries. When we think we know better than him, we're his adversaries. And, and, and who's going to win that fight? I think it's Dr. Ted Roberts who says it's like Woody Allen and, and Mike Tyson going together in the ring. Who's going to win that fight? And when we oppose God, when we oppose his word and we set ourselves against it, we become his opponent. And who is going to win that fight? Pick up in verse 18. Jesus doesn't just stop here now. He goes on to say, and this is what I love. He said, what is the kingdom of God like and what shall I compare it? He said, is it a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in his branches? What's the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God, kingdom is God's domain. It's his rule and reign. What is the kingdom of God like among his people? What is God's rule and reign like among his people sitting in New Vision Church tonight? What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed that's planted and it grows into a tree and the birds come and nest in its branches. And it sounds like a beautiful thing, doesn't it? Until you understand that when the birds, the birds, any reference to birds in the word of God, if you remember the sower and the seed, the birds came and took up the seed, and then Jesus goes on to tell us what the birds stand for. What does it stand for? Satan. So it's this be the kingdom of God is like this beautiful tree that was planted, and it was planted to bear fruit, but instead the birds of the air, Satan came, and he nested in its branches. It's a of corruption. It's a picture of the influence uh, of Satan in a Christian's life. Then in verse 20, he says, and again, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven which a woman took and hid, don't miss that word hid, and three measures of mill till it was all leavened. We all know what leaven symbolizes. Throughout the word of God, we, we know it symbolizes uh, sin, corruption, and it's a picture of corruption infiltrating the Christian community. Sin infiltrating the Christian community here. Notice it says it works unseen. 
until it, that, that's the passion translation. It works unseen until it permeates the entire batch. Oh, uh, one translation says she hid the, the leaven in the meal. And isn't it interesting how sin permeates and we try to keep it hidden and it's not noticed until it corrupts the whole thing. That's why it's so important that we repent. So important that we repent. But see, we want to hide it. She hid the leaven in the meal. She didn't want anybody to know. We try to keep it unseen, but it's corrupting our whole lives. And Jesus is saying this is what the church and his body looks like. It's a picture of corruption. G. Campbell Morgan says leaven represents the paganizing influences brought into the church. And the only thing that will change that is repentance. And so it finishes, this whole passage finishes in verses 23 through 27 when a bystander comes and he says to him, Jesus, how many will be saved? I want to read this to you in the Passion, and I'm closing, I promise. A bystander had asked him, Lord, will only a few have eternal life? Jesus said to the crowd, not to the person asking, to the crowd, there is a great cost for anyone to enter through the narrow doorway in God's kingdom. I tell you, many will want to enter, but won't be able to. Once the head of the house has shut and locked the door, it will be too late. Even if you stand outside knocking, begging to enter, and saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. He will say, you, he will say to you, I don't know who you are. You're not a part of my family. Then you will reply, but Lord, we dined with you and walked with you as you taught us. And he will reply, don't you understand? I don't know who you are, for you're not a part of my family. I will not let you in. Now go away from me. And this is what just, I felt like I got punched in the gut when I read this. For you are all disloyal to me, and you do. Well, only a few have eternal life. Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He's basically saying, don't worry about how many. Worry about yourself. Worry if you're going to be there. You've heard the, impression, the, the expression that they're living on borrowed time. My daddy is living on borrowed time right now. Every day he gets is a gift. Can I tell you if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are living on borrowed time. Because unless you repent, you will perish. You won't just die. Die, that would be the best thing that could happen. That would be the best case scenario is that you just die. But Jesus said that's not what happens. You don't just cease to exist. You don't just get annihilated and, and get separated from God. That's not what happens. It's, it's eternal torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what God's word says. And these people came to him. They're calling him Lord. They think he is their Lord. They're saying we dined with you, fellowship. We performed miracles, signs, and wonders. We heard your teaching. We sat in Bible study on Monday night. And he'll say, away from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. I was in Georgia at a conference, and some lady came up behind me, and she was calling my name. And I'm thinking, how does anybody here know me? And she's saying, Rhea. And finally she caught up to me, and, and she knew me. She's saying, you know me. I don't have any relationship with you. 
You haven't fostered relationship. You see, repentance restores broken fellowship. It restores relationship. Sin separates us from God. Christ came to bridge that gap so we could have access to God, and that gap could be bridged. But you see, we continue to do the very thing that separated us from him. Repentance brings us close again. It restores that fellowship again. Leslie's my best friend. If I say something hurtful and damaging to her, what happens to our friend? We are very, are we not, very careful to keep short accounts. I'll say, that, you're, a little, you're a little quiet. Did I say something to hurt you? Did I do something wrong? Or I'll say to her, you know what? You said that, and it hurt my feelings. Can we just talk about that? And they're hard conversations, but they always end with a stronger relationship. People say to us all the time, how do you two, you know, I want to be friends like that. I want a friend like that. We work hard on this friendship. We say hard things to each other. We're honest with each other. We're vulnerable with each other. That's what friendship is like. Davey, I am intimate. But if he lived in my house and I was like, hey, big guy, I'm not going with your bad self. I'll talk to you later. I'm really busy. I don't have time for you right now. How great would our intimacy be? But we talk about deep stuff. We share deep stuff. We're open with each other. If I hurt him, there's a part of me that hurts till I can make it right again. He can hurt me like no other because he knows. He knows. And if I hurt him or he hurt me and we never fixed it, we never talked it through, it would just be two people living in a house with hardened hearts to one another. Intimacy takes work. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're never intimate with me. We don't have a friendship because you plow right over me and you hurt me with your sin and you don't even care enough to come back to me and talk about it. You see, Jesus said, don't worry about how many. Just worry about if you're going to be there. Repentance requires change. Many will want entrance, Jesus said, but the entrance is narrow. The gate is narrow. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. You know why it's broad? Because everybody's on it. And something, if you look up the word broad, it actually means trampled down. Dave and I went for a walk this week, and, and we came across this park, and Dave wanted to go off the beaten path, and uh, I was like, Dave, the snakes, I'm not getting off this path, it's high weeds, and he's like, oh, come on, and, and, but it, it wasn't a path, and, but he wanted to make his own path. There's a little tiny place where you could see people had stepped, and he wanted to go there, and I was like, mm, I want one that's trampled down so I don't see any snakes. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the one that's trampled down because everybody's on it. And it leads to destruction. It's easy to find destruction. But narrow is the road to life. Narrow is the one that is the path that Dave wanted to take that hardly anybody's on it and it's not trampled down and it's hard to find and few. And if you look it up, it means few in number find it. Few in number find it. He says strive to enter the narrow. See, people say also work mentality. And Rhea, we don't need to strive because it's grace. And he loves us. So he loves you. Yes, he does. Yeah, he loves you. And he's given you his word to guide you. 
And he says, these are in red, it's in red. Jesus is speaking it, strive. And the word is, it's where we get our word agony. It means agonize, it means strive. It means to put an effort out, to, to stay on the narrow path. Keep on that path because it leads to life. And few, hear me, I don't even know how much I can stress this. Few in number, find it. See, we are, we are in this church mentality where pray this prayer of salvation and you get to go to heaven. But we never talk about repentance. We never talk about changed life. We don't walk with people and say, this is what God requires of us. And we give this grace message that, that is, in my opinion, in Dave's opinion, it's a cheap grace message where, where we've, so, we've so cheapened grace to mean something that it doesn't mean. Grace is God's enabling power. It enables you to walk a path of righteousness, to obey his word, to bring a changed life. He says, strive to enter that narrow path. Strive to struggle. It's narrow. Uh, the word is stenos. It's where we get our word stenosis. I have stenosis of the spine. And, and what's happened is my spinal cord is here, my spine my spinal cord is here, my spine is here, and there's a narrowing of my spinal cord. And so it presses, or spine, uh, my spinal column, and it presses on my cord. It's narrow. And so there's not much room in there for my cord. And so we were someplace this week, and I turned my head, and I got shocks the whole way down my, my body. And it's because my cord doesn't have enough room, enough, enough fluid around it, and, and it's narrowed. That's the path. It's narrow. There's not enough room on it and you don't have room for junk. A narrow path, you can't take a lot of junk with you. And that's why repentance is so important, and that's why it connects with this repentance teaching. So in closing, let me just tell you that every one of us here tonight should examine our heart to look at the way we're living and ask the question, when I came to Christ, did I really go from darkness to light? Is holiness really important to me? Do I aim to walk according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit? Have I truly repented and do I really place all my confidence in God and God alone? Am I really converted? If not, I pray that the words of Jesus reverberate in your ear unless you repent. And remember, repent isn't just being sorry for your sins. It's sorry enough to quit. Unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you have a changed life. Is your life really changed? Because I need to tell you, we need to get it right. Our eternity depends on it. The tower didn't fall on you. Pilate and his men didn't slaughter your life. COVID, fortunately, hasn't taken your life. Took the life of, of Lisa's mom, but it didn't take your life. You didn't die in a car accident on your way to study tonight. You are still alive, and so you have a choice that you can still make. Will you repent? Because unless you do, you'll perish. You'll never know when the door will be shut or the ax will fall. You don't know how much time you'll have. But I can tell you the statistics are not in your favor. 100% of us are going to die. You say, well, Rhea, God is compassionate and he's loving. Yep. Let me read that scripture to you. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger 
He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But then that scripture ends with, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. I know that I preach a hard message. I'm going to ask Megan to come. I, I know that I preach a hard message. There, there's such an urgency inside of me when I preach. I understand the call of God that's on my life. I know that time is limited, and I, I know the weight of the call that I feel. And so I will never mince words with you all. I will never give you a message that tickles your ears. People say, well, I feel convicted. I feel condemned. God's word doesn't condemn you. It convicts you. Those are two different words. So if you're feeling the weight of this message, just turn. Just repent. It's that simple. Because you will be met with his graciousness, with his mercy, with his loving arms around you. That keeper of the vineyard didn't go to that 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 fig tree that, that only had leaves and no fruit and say, you're an awful fig tree and I don't even want you in my vineyard anymore. And, and shame on you, you're terrible. He said, no, I'm going to do everything I can to make it bear fruit. He was patient with it and loving towards it. And that's the God we serve. But we can't just turn a deaf ear to his word. We've got to, we're not messing around. All eternity is waiting for this. And if Jesus, the God who cannot lie, says that few will find this path, then few must be finding it. So as Megan plays, I just want to give you just some time. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please, please don't leave here. In fact, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask I'm not going to call you up here. I'm not going to make an elaborate thing, but I'm going to assess that every head is bowed and every eye closed. Because you just need to do, instead of worrying about everybody else, Jesus is saying, just worry about yourself. And we saw that in the story tonight. And so just worry about yourself. But I'm just wondering if there's anybody here that would say, Rhea, I don't know. I don't know if I died tomorrow if I would perish. But I want to make that right. If that's you, don't worry about losing cool points. Please don't, because hell isn't going to care about cool points. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up real quickly and say, Rhea, that's me. I don't know where I would go, but I want to. I just want to pray a prayer. I won't single you out. We'll have everybody pray, but uh, yeah, thank you for that hand. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Praise your holy name, Lord. We praise your holy name. Is there anybody else that would just say, Rhea, I don't know, but I want to know? Certainly nothing to be embarrassed about. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Is there anybody else? Just slip your hand up very quickly and you can put it right back down. Praise your holy name. Now I wonder about those of you who are here and you've made this profession, your leaves made a profession of faith, you call him Lord, Lord. 
but you would say, I really, I'm not living that lifestyle of repentance. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not keeping short accounts with God. I, I know I'm doing some things that I, I shouldn't be doing. And yes, he meets me with grace and forgiveness and he's good to me, but I, I, wanna, I want that to change. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I, yeah, thank you. I, I don't know how you can sit, quite frankly, in a message like this and say that's not me. Because that's me. My hand is raised. I, I'm listening to this message or I'm studying this message this week and I'm thinking, this is me, Lord. So if you're not raising your hand, then you're saying, I got it all together. I'm all good. <laughs> yeah. Then the last one I just want to ask I just feel this coming up in my spirit that maybe there are people here who really love the Lord and are trying to follow him, but you're stuck in a sin cycle that you just cannot get free of. You're like that woman with the bent back. You hate it. You try to get free, but it's crippling you. If that's you, yes, thank you, Jesus. Would you just, yes, thank you, thank you. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. So, Father, your word says that unless we acknowledge you before men, that you won't acknowledge us before your Father in heaven. Lord, you saw the hands. That's why I had them raised. Because that's them acknowledging before men, before me. If my eyes would be the only ones open, I, I saw it. And, and so they're acknowledging you before men. They're acknowledging their need of you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for those who raise their hand, saying they need you, but they've never crossed that line of faith. They've never totally surrendered their life to you. Lord, you saw their hands. is the day of salvation for them and I pray that it would be real so I promised them I wouldn't single them out and so I'd like us all to just pray this prayer together those of you that raised your hand pray it with sincerity all the sincerity you can muster and I want you to just acknowledge and say Lord I know that I'm a sinner repeat it after me I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior I can't do it myself. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. For taking the punishment I deserved. I receive the gift of salvation. And I turn from my sin. Thank you for the grace that's going to enable me. Empower me and equip me to walk the right way. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me white as snow. I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, my Deliverer. Forgive me, Lord. 
and make me yours, I pray. And for those of you who are struggling with a sin that has you bound tonight, I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you for humble hearts, hearts that are not deceived by the pride of their heart, hearts that are acknowledging, I want to be free. I just don't know how to get free. Lord, I pray right now, right now, for your enabling power to just overwhelm them. Lord, that you would sweep over them with such power that you, their bondage breaker, Father God, would just do a, a powerful work in and through their life. I pray that you'd uphold them with your righteous right hand, that you would assure them of your presence with them. Lord, that you would, you would grant them, Lord, the power they need to walk away from this sin. They're asking, Lord. Just like that woman came to you crippled, Lord, you said you're loosed from your, from, from your infirmity. Woman, thou art loosed. I speak that over them now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I declare and decree that they are loosed from what holds them in the name of Jesus. That it will not plague them. It will not torment them any longer. That today they're walking away from it in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. That the same grace that saved them is empowering them now to say no to that thing. And Lord, for those who say they're like that fig tree with lots of leaves, looking religious, but not a whole lot of fruit of repentance, I pray, Father, that they would hear your warning to turn, to repent to let you change their life. I'm so in awe of you, Lord. I'm so in awe of your power. So I pray for every person, Father, that you would manifest yourself in their life in such a way that the realness of God would be something they could not deny. That you would wrap your loving arms around them. Breathe your life-giving breath within them. And lead us and guide us, Lord, in the way of righteousness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.